Good morning, everybody. Hey, listen, I don't have a whole lot of time. If you knew we were here last week, you knew, or you listened last week, you knew I talked for 59 minutes. So we got to go, okay, because we're going over the book of Romans. But can I just be honest with you guys for, for a minute? Not, not that I would ever lie to you on purpose, okay? I might play a little trick. But um, this week has been incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. Um, you know, like some personal frustrations and personal like things that I have to, I need to overcome that I feel like I'm sometimes a slave to. You with me? There's and there's some there's uh, there's battles that I'm fighting and and then with Zane in the hospital at the beginning of the week and then you know you know all this like first week back for teachers y'all like it's like. Dude, this week's been so hard, and the devil has been trying to fight me. Like, my enthusiasm this week has been just at an all-time low, if I was honest. You know what I'm saying? But then I read this verse in Romans last night that says, I live in joy because my enthusiasm in ministry comes from him. And that stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the whole reason I was able to up here to jump and sing and stuff this morning was because God spoke to me last night and just said, just said, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your eyes see, what does your faith see? Because y'all, there's some dreams in my mind for Shift Church. There's some dreams in, 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 in my mind for Shift Church. There's some dreams that I have for you all person, like, as, as personally. Like there's, there's dreams, like the vision that God's laid in my heart, like I, I wish I could put it into words. You with me? But the enemy seems to always creep in when the most joy seems to, have, seems to be coming forth, doesn't he? And I found myself this week being a slave to a lot of things. A lot of things I shouldn't have been a slave to. And a lot of that is because of what we talked about last week. And that's a pride. Issue of pride, Right? Because the pride is the root of all sin, the Bible says. You know, worship of self or worship or worship of something else created. So this is what you need to know from last week, myself included. By our sinful nature, we are at war with God. We're at war with God. We're not just like, oh, I don't like God or he doesn't like me. No, we are at war with God because of our sinful nature. I don't know if any of y'all have been to war, but it's a bloody mess. We were at war with the God who created us. We, we by nature, trade the truth of God for a lie. We place ourselves and other created things on the throne, and Paul calls us out for it. He gave an example last week of something that's really big in culture, didn't he? Remember when he talked about we talked about homosexuality, how that you know how it's a sin, how it's basically their, their pride putting uh, putting their pride on the altar, and it's kind of funny that their whole month of celebration is called Pride Month. And I had this really big Amen corner, didn't I? I'm surprised I didn't get any any emails. Remember, chapter two starts off for the rest of us by saying. But for those of you who are just saying amen or those of you who judge the, the, the wickedness of those people, you need to watch your back because you're guilty of the exact same thing. And that is putting 
yourself or other created, another created thing on the altar where God has it. We try to find our identity in sexuality and what we do. How many, like, how many of y'all, when somebody says, hey, what do you do for a living? You automatically say your job title, right? Hey, I'm a restorative liaison. Hey, I'm a pastor. And we forget to say, hey, I'm a child of the king. Because our identity isn't based in what we do, but in, in who he is. That's why, like, I love the idea that, that Icelanders have when it comes to their name. But there's this one girl who does cross, there's this one girl who does CrossFit competitions. Her name's Sarah, Sigmund's daughter. And in Iceland, what they do is they take their father's name and then add son or daughter to it. I'm Sarah Sigmund's daughter. It'd be like me saying, I'm Derek Coyson. That would be a weird last name. We identify ourselves with what we do rather than who he is and who we're attached to. But Paul calls us out for, for this. And so then we begin to search out our ways to fix ourselves, don't we? What's the biggest section of books in the bookstore? Anybody know? Self-help. How's that working for you, Joe? I'm not saying you do self-help books. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How's them self-help books doing? Are you still as messed up as you were before you started reading it? Because here's the thing, he calls us out on no matter how many right things you do, no matter how many things you get right, you're still a screw up. Me too. Me too. But Derek, I follow all the rules. My mama says I was an angel. Well, your mama was a liar. And that's a sin to lie. If you raise kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Right? In public, Zane and Lyric are normally pretty good, but at home, they bicker and fight, and I want to, you know, like, I'm about to show you, spare, no, I'm not, I don't spare rods, you know what I'm saying? But no matter how much we do right, it seems like nothing ever gets better. We know why? Last week we read this. Romans 3, 19, it says, Now we realize that everything that the law says is addressed, or the law, you can say, the standard of God. If you want to meet the standard of God, this is the law that you have to follow. The law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. This is for two reasons. So that every excuse will be silenced. Ooh, that's kind of scary. Why was the law put in place? Why was the standard of God written down and given to us? Well, so that every excuse we can come up with will be silenced. Well, Derek, I didn't know. It doesn't matter. Well, the law was written on your heart. Remember, we read that last week. Well, Derek, what, what really is the truth? Isn't truth relative? Ooh, it's kind of scary. No one is with, has a good excuse. So that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence. And so that the entire world will be held accountable to God's standard. For, the, for by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. So even if you follow the law, the only thing it does is heighten your awareness of the sin that's in your heart. You with me? Because again... If you, if you were able to follow every part of the law, 
like every dot and tittle, everything, everything, what would you do? Anybody know? I did it! I did it! I'm boasting in myself! That's a pride thing! And pride is the root of sin. The law of God, or the standard in which we must live, is in place to show us that we're not innocent and to expose how sinful we really are. So even if you observe everything, every aspect of the law, you would not be innocent because you would be boastful about it. So now what? Derek, you were evil last week. Why are you starting off evil again? Like I came here for good news. It's the first time I'm tuning in on Facebook Live and I'm thinking about ending the live feed. I'm just going to let you know if you're just watching online and you're not here in person, you're missing out. Just saying. So what do we do in our camp? What do we do when we can't meet the standard of God and even if we could, we would fail because of the pride thing and we'd have to start all over again. What would we do in our camp? And it's this. This is my thought. This is my thought. We're going to see if my thought lines out. In our camp, we need someone who can. In our camp, we need someone who can. So let's see if there's someone who can. You ready? Romans 3.21. But now, independently of the law, a separate from the standard, written standard of God, now, independently of the law, the righteousness or the right standing between God, between us and God, the right, righteousness of God is tangible, which means it's touchable, it's, it's, it's attainable. Wait a minute, you just said it's not attainable. Whoa, 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 I'm about to tell you how. Righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through who? Jesus, the anointed one. Because his name is above every name. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It's God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus. Whose faithfulness? Is it your faithfulness, Cody? Hmm. Faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. And this is important why he wrote that down. We'll talk about it later here in a few weeks. Between us, salvation, because here's the deal, here's the deal. Even with the stench of sin and death on us, God made, God made Jesus' faithfulness our faithfulness. God made Jesus' faithfulness our faithfulness. That's why if you parallel part Ephesians 2 with this passage, you'll see that faith to believe is given to us. The faithfulness for us to believe is given to us. You didn't earn it. Salvation apart from the law is now made possible through Christ's faithfulness, not yours. Not yours. Romans 3.23 For we all have sinned. That's not like, well, maybe you're a good person or a bad person. No, 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 no. For we all have sinned and are in need of of the glory of God. Yet, through his powerful declaration of acquittal. I love that word. Acquittal. I want to pause here for a minute and just say, many of us are feeling the weight of our past. You feel like you're a slave to what you used to be. 
You may, you may, feel the, you may have felt the, the weight of this book already in Romans, and we're only in the third chapter of it. And you're, and you're, and you're wondering, like, am I, is it even possible for me to, to be this way? And what the enemy has done is allowed you to be trapped in your past, allowed you to become a slave to your past to the point where you think that you're still chained up and bound. You've identified yourself with what you've done in the past, and here's Paul saying, if, if you have true faith in Christ, your past is acquitted. You're not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. If, you write, if you're taking notes, write that down. If you have true faith in Christ, your past is acquitted. You're not guilty anymore. So stop being a slave. Stop being a slave. So we'll talk about that more here in a minute. Romans 3.24 goes on to say, Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely, that's a huge word, because ain't nothing free, y'all. Somebody's paid a price. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness, his right standing, his gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us. Have you ever seen those pictures of, 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 the, uh, of, of the Jewish people liberated from concentration camps? How much, even in the midst of their pain and sorrow and weakness, there was a smile on their face because they knew they had been liberated. They had been set free. And here we are walking into church, walking around the world with, with droopy faces, y'all. We've been liberated. He liberated us from guilt, punishment, and power of sin. And the power of sin. Here's, here's what you need to know. If you want, I want you to write this down. We are free from the guilt and the sin the wrath of our sin, and we have power over sin. I mean, you didn't, you didn't hear me, I don't think. I mean, Joe just heard me. I know Joe heard me. You, you have power over sin. You can control. You, you can control. Like, you realize that the only power sin has in your life is the power you hand over to it. <laughs> And many, many of us are going, hey, here, 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 here's, here's the power, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have power over sin. What are you talking about, Derek? It's our flesh nature. I just, sometimes I just get these urges and I have to go. I just, it just happens. Well, it's a good thing you said that because Paul, a couple chapters later, says this. Sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Who gives it the opportunity? We do. No longer give it the opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings, urges. You with me? So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced you are a resurrected life. Ephesians 2, going back. You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You with me? But later it says, but now you've been 
that instead, even in, in death, you've been, you receive grace as a gift. So refuse to answer the call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passion, passionately, passionately, with some excitement, answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You've been conquered already. That land's already been taken. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of grace, the grace of God. You're, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are under his reign, not the reign of sin anymore. And in the words of our very own Mela Bell, Bell in one of her blogs, you're saved, act like it. Shout out. Hashtag youth pastor wife. Those are fighting words right there. You're saved. Act like it. Quit living in, in, in fear. Quit living in sin. Like, quit being a slave. So I got to keep going because I'm trying to get through Romans. You know what I'm saying? Romans 3.25. Jesus' God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins. And now he is our mercy seat because of the death because of his death on the cross, we come to him for mercy. For God has made provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect, I mean, I'm going to pause right here for a second. The mercy seat of God, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But the mercy, mercy seat was, was, was a throne kind of type thing on top of, the, uh, top of the Ark of the Covenant. And what they would do is they would pour the blood sacrifice on that mercy seat. And so here's what Jesus, here's what that verse is saying is that is that that like Jesus not only is our mercy seat but the sacrifice that was poured on that mercy seat Jesus God-given destiny was to be was to be the sacrifice to take away sin and now he is our mercy seat he is both because of the death because of his death on the cross we come to him for mercy for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus this is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because until now he had he 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 had i guess hold down he had been so patient holding back his justice out of his out of his tolerance for us like the reason he's like the reason you're not experiencing the wrath of god right now is because he's being tolerant last week we talked about how he wanted he, he's being tolerant to soften your heart to lead you to him so he covered over the, the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice so not only did his, he did his sacrifice, you ready for this? Not only did his sacrifice save anything we do in the future, but all of our Old Testament brothers and, brothers and sisters who had faith in the coming of the Messiah was covered by the cross. Man, that's some power, y'all. That is some power. Jesus is our mercy seat, which means salvation is placed on him. Not you. Here's the deal. If it's placed on him and not you, nothing you do or don't do will make your salvation invalid. It's not based on what we do or don't do but in what, in what he did on the cross. It's based on the blood. And it's crazy to think. Okay. 
that we are the ones who rebelled, ran from him, the ones who make war with him, and he was the one who made a way for us and a path through the wilderness. He made us a, a path out of the way of God's wrath that is to come. Why? Why did this happen? Remember last week we said that if God didn't hold us accountable, he would neither be just nor would he be holy. Right? It would be like me whipping Zane for something and not lyric for the same thing. The lyric was so sweet, I could never really... Here's, here's why this works. This is why we don't experience the wrath of God right now. Because Christ's death on the cross fulfilled God's justice for those who believe. The death and the wrath that was due you was poured on Jesus, the mercy seat. Got to keep going though. And when the season of tolerance, and when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness, which is what we just talked about, and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. And it was to offer up his own son. So now, so now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Where then is the room for boasting? This is where our pride Where's the room for that? Because you didn't do a thing, you lazy bunch of. Where then is there room for boasting? Do our, do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It was not our works of keeping the law, but our faith, our faith in his, what's that F word? Finished work that makes us right with God. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that, declaration that we are righteous in his eyes can only come when we put our faith in Christ and, in, and not in keeping the law. Not in keeping the law. Many of us have been working our tails off to be accepted by Christ, forgetting that we've already been accepted. And when you fail to find yourself saying, and when you fail, because you're working your tail off, and doesn't, like, have you ever tried to fix, like, how many, guys, how many of you try to fix something and it not ever be fixed? That's Brittany, it happens to me all the time. Come look at our laundry room. We have a, we have a big hole in our ceiling. So if anybody wants to come over and do some sheetrock, Fix it for me. Fix the leak that's up there while you're at it. Many of us have been working our tails off to be accepted by Christ. But when we fail, we find ourselves saying, I can't meet the standards of God. And you're right. So what's the use? What's the use of even trying? Well, here's the thing. True faith is one that is rooted in Christ's finished work. Not our good works or bad works, because here's the thing, here's the thing, and we're going to look at it here in a second, but Christ's followers are not different because they live by faith, because everybody lives by faith. 
even the atheist has faith that when they go put their car in the, in the, in the ignition and turn it, it's going to fire up and go. They have faith in the order of things. We all live by some sort of faith. Like, that's not what makes us different. Muslims, they live by faith. Might step on them toes. Jehovah Witnesses, they live by faith. Mormons, they live by faith. Those people who follow the guy in the white robe, they live by faith. We all live by faith. My dad lives by faith. Chief people at Chief Church who follows the guy with the gauged ears, they live by faith. That's not what makes us different. Christ followers are not different because they live by faith, but are different because of the object of their faith. Listen to this, Romans 3.29. I mean, before I read that, I just want to say our faith is based on our faith is based on being accepted by the works of Christ instead of faith that I'm hoping I'm doing enough to be accepted by Christ. That's why you look at all these, some of these other thoughts, lines. Buddhists, they believe, have faith, and if I do all the right things, I will. I'll be reincarnated, or I do uh, as a. Hopefully, I don't come back as a bug and get squashed. You know what I'm saying? You know, you have Islam is like is. You have one extreme that says, if I kill the infidels, then I'm gonna be Facebook banned after this. You have the one extreme over here that says, if I kill the infidels in the name of Allah, then I'll have 21 virgins or 16 virgins or however many virgins it is. I don't know if I want to deal with that many women. Okay? No offense. I struggle keeping one happy. She's like, no, you're, you're, you're great, Derek. Again, remember the mom coming earlier? Liar. No, I'm just kidding. You're an angel, Derek. No, no, I'm not. Or you have the other extreme. If I just follow all the laws that Allah has put in place, then I'll, then I'll, I'll be with him in paradise. Or you have, you have, um, <clears throat> you have the Mormons who, like, if I just get out and I, I work the street, work the streets and share, share the gospel, I do this mission right, then I will. They'll talk about grace, how they receive grace, and grace is a free gift. But to get the grace that's free, you have to do a little work. That's not what this says at all. Because <laughs> your works are filthy. Rags. Your righteousness will be right. Jehovah Witnesses, same thing. Catholicism if, I say, Catholicism, if I say enough Hail Marys, then I'll be good. Let me show you. After all, is God the God of the Jews only, or is he equally the God for all of humanity? Of course, he is the God of all people. Since there is only one God, he will treat us all the same. He eliminates our guilt and makes us right with him by faith, no matter who we are. So I don't care how you walked in here or what you're, how you're sitting there, what kind of pajamas you're wearing. It doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter how you walked in here. He's saying, I want to save you too. Well, Derek, I need to go clean myself up. No, 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 no. You can't. Since there is only one God, I'll keep going. Does emphasizing our faith invalidate the law? Absolutely not. Instead, our faith establishes the role the law should rightfully have. And that is the search by bone and marrow to see if we're really being walking in light with who we say we're attached to. Let's use Abraham. I love how Paul uses Abraham. Let me use Abraham as an example. It's clear that, humanly speaking, he was the founder of Judaism. What was his experience of being made right with God? Was it by his good works? For if it was by the things that he did, he would have, he would have something to boast about. But no one boasts before God. I'm just going to share a backstory. Okay. So, big argument in the New Testament. Circumcision. All the guys got really tense there for a second. Yeah. Circumcision. That was the outward sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? Did he have faith prior to his circumcision when God called him out of Babylon? This is what he's talking about. For if it was by the thing was it by the good works of keeping the law? No, for it was was the was by the things he did, he, he if it was by the things he did, he would have something to boast about. But no one boasts before God. Listen to what the scripture says. Because Abraham believed God's words, his faith transferred God's righteousness or right standing into his account. When people work, they earn a wage. It can't be, it can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we, when we no longer rely on our own works but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. I, I read that quick. This is, saying Abraham had, this is saying Abraham had true faith because he had faith not in his works, but faith in the one who would come to make us righteous. But his true faith, his true faith, by our standard, would look weak because of what Abraham did. Derek, what are you talking about? 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 I'm going to tell you. Abraham was 75, and Sarah, his wife, was 65, and God promised them a son, and they waited 25 years for this promise. Oh, Derek, that is great faith. Great faith, Derek. I don't know if I could wait 25 years for now. It's hard for me to wait 25 minutes for anything or 25 seconds. Great faith. But wait, do you, do you know what he did? You know what he did? So about halfway through that, they got tired of waiting on God's promise. And so his, so his wife Sarah said, hey, honey, I think it'd be good if you got a girlfriend. That's a lot younger. And he's like, oh, I'll do anything for the family. If, that what you, if that's what you think, then I'm, I'll take you at your word. I'll do what you say. Because I mean, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do for the family to get, get us our son. But, well, he got one. It was where Ishmael was born. But Ishmael wasn't God's promised son. Ishmael is where the Muslim religion, Islam religion originates. That's why Muslims will say our, our ancestry goes, goes back to Abraham. Well, it does, because it started with Ishmael. There's a problem, actually a promise that says those, the God that comes through the promise and the God that comes through the illegitimate, they will constantly be at battle with each other. Anybody watching the Middle East right now? 
over in the Holy Lands. What's the, who's the battle between? The children of Abraham? Through Isaac? And the children of Abraham through Ishmael? So his true faith, by our standards, is a little weak. Oh, but that's, that's not even... I mean, that's a juicy story. I mean... Oh my, women. How many are you going to tell your husbands to go find a girlfriend? I mean, some of y'all might just get rid of him. I don't know. But, but listen, to, listen to this next part. What about the part where Abraham, um, well, Abraham got scared twice standing in front of the king and told, because apparently even though Sarah was like in her wrinkly old state, she was some hot stuff because the king thought she was hot twice. And he said, and he scared for his life. He says, oh, this is my sister. You can have her. Twice. Like, how many of y'all women would come back after the first time? Let alone the second time. Paul is saying this is true faith. That even when we fail, we don't forget where our faith rests. Because Abraham never forgot the promise of God. And 25 years later, Isaac was born. There's a difference between great faith and true faith. And what God is asking you to have is true faith in his righteousness. And the difference is, is it where you place it? Because if Abraham placed it in his good works, he, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I got to keep reading. We're almost done. I think I'm doing pretty good today. Thanks. Appreciate that encouragement. Here, oh, here's it. Are you ready? Even King David. Ooh, that's another story right there. Like, you're using all these horrible people. Like King David, standing on the roof, looking out over a city and sees naked Bathsheba on the roof taking a bath, has sex with her, gets her pregnant, and realizes she's a married woman. And he's also married, but that's, we're not going to talk bring that up because, you know what I'm saying? And so she, he brings, he brings his, her husband home so she, they can have sex, could, could look like it was their baby. And he's like, I ain't having sex with my wife and all my men. Very noble. I'm not going to have sex because I wouldn't. I've been like, I, we were doing it. Um, I'm not having sex because all my men out here are, 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 it's no fair. And so since that didn't happen, guess what David did? Sends him to the front of the line to, to die in war. Paul, these aren't great examples of people with great faith. Because it's not about great faith, it's about true faith. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Over what life? Our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. I will never hold your sins against you. Thank you. Now, think about it. Does this happiness come only to the Jews or is it available to all who believe? Our answer is this. This is a study because if you were back in the Messianic times, you'd have been like, I'm a Gentile and I don't know if I get a part of this. Here's what it is. Is it only to the Jews or is it available to all who believe? Our answer is this. Faith was credited to Abraham as God's righteousness. I mean, because 
Guess what? Abraham wasn't Jewish. He was from a town that was in the Babylonian region. Like his, his dad worshipped Babylonian gods. Like God pulled him out and said, I'm making you different. Now think about it. Does this happiness come to only the Jews or is it available to all who believe? Our answer is this. Faith was credited to Abraham as God's righteousness. How, how did he receive the gift of righteousness? He was, was he circumcised at the time God accepted him or was he still uncircumcised? Clearly, he was, he was an uncircumcised Gentile when God said this of him. It was later that he, can you imagine being though, being a like, follower of Abraham and him one day showing up and goes, hey, I got this word from God that he wants us to... I'm like, I'm out. It was later that he received the external sign of circumcision as a seal to confirm that God had already transferred his righteousness to him by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So now this qualifies him to become the father of all who believe among the non-Jews, Jewish people. And like their father, and like their father of faith, Abraham, God has transferred his righteousness to them by faith. That's me and you. Yes, Abraham is obviously the true father of faith for the Jewish people and who, who are not only circumcised, but who walk in the way of faith that our father Abraham displayed before his circumcision. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would, they would, not have, have, that they would have an heir who would reign over, over the world. Guess who that is? We worship, sing about him today. The royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept the, all the law, but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. For if, it, if, for if keeping the law earns an inheritance, then faith is, is robbed of its power, and the promise becomes useless. For the law provokes punishment, and where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. I'm trying to get through it, y'all. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a, as a grace gift. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also to those who enter into, into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. That's what the scripture means when it says, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our example and, example and father. For in God's presence, he believed that God can raise the dead and call it back calling to being things that don't even exist. That's talking about when he took Isaac up to be sacrificed on the hill. Like he, left, he took, took him up there to be slaughtered him on the hill as a shadow of Jesus, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. He, he believed that even if he did go through with killing his son, that God would raise him from the dead. That's why you're like, how could he have known, walked up to that hill to, you go read the Old Testament. It's just some cool, I mean, I don't know what cool is the right word, but he had faith that God was going to raise him from the dead. Okay. It's all when, he, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God, God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be, it will be impossible to count. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be un undermined by the fact that he and his Sarah were, were incapable of conceiving a child. He never stopped believing God's promise, for he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was, was mighty in faith and convinced that God had, had all the power needed to fulfill his promise, Abraham glorified God. Although he stumbled and fell, Abraham's faith was true. 
Just because you stumble doesn't mean your faith isn't strong or impactful. And this is where we fall into a trap. This is where I fell into a trap this week of being a slave to our slave to my past because we believe we have failed. So, so what's the use of even trying? What's the use of even trying? My faith got a little weak this week, y'all. That goes on to say. So now you can see why Abraham's faith was credited to his account as righteousness before God. And this declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. For when we believe and embrace the one who brought up brought our Lord Jesus back to life. Perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he made us right with God. Why? Because we had true faith in him. If your faith is not in Christ's work, your faith is in the wrong God. Write that down. If your faith is not in Christ's work, your faith is in the wrong God. It's in the wrong God. A.K.A. you. Because it's only in Him that we can be made right. Last two verses and I'm done. You ready? Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and He now declares us flawless. Everybody say, I'm flawless. In his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. This is one of my favorite verses right here. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into the marvelous kindness that has given, given us a perfect relationship with God. A what? A perfect relationship with God? I don't feel like it's perfect. Your faith makes it perfect. <laughs> What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Hey, y'all, listen. The devil's gonna try to get you down. But you have permanent access. Permanent. And you can walk right up there to him like, hey, what's up, Father? Because you're flawless in his eyes if your true faith is in him. Stop being a slave to your past. Stop being a slave to spirit. This, this whole thing was about the fact that he made a way for you. He made a way, y'all. He made a way for you to walk right through that sea, through that valley, wherever, wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you're facing in life, he's made a way for you to get out. The question becomes, where's your faith? Is it in him or is it in you? That's the question. Dear God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here. Thank you for your righteousness that, that all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is have true faith. True faith in you. My prayer.